0: Constantly listening to the news is probably gonna be uh, mm. something you should avoid if you're really engaging with fear, because yeah. the problem is, is it's a very negative message that's coming to us. We don't hear about success
1: stories. Hello, this is Doctor Rowe, and you are listening to the Cicado Show with Doctor Rowe and Harms. Cicado means to seek turning points and on this show where two completely different generations tackle the most challenging topics that people are facing today. The mission is to provide you with what you need in order to create a turning point in your life. Now above all else, the main reason that we chose to create these shows is because we both have a passion for helping people go through life transformation for improving their lives for taking their lives to a completely different level. And it's our hope, our genuine, sincere hope, that by the end of each of these episodes, you will have gained at least one insight which you can take away and apply directly into your life. Practical tools, voices that come from both generations, younger generation with tips and tools, older generation with a sense of wisdom and experience. So you can help unlock your true potential to give you the opportunity to make changes both on a personal, professional financial and relationship level, to give you a chance to impact both your life and the lives of other people around you. So we welcome you. We welcome you to The Cicado Show. Before we jump into the show, let me just tell you a little bit about becoming a Cicado supporter now. If you love what we do on the show, have gained transformational insights and positive outcomes or any small shifts which have allowed you to create turning points in your life, then please head to cicado.com and become a supporter of the show now. By supporting the show, we can continue to expand by getting you better quality production, spending more time deep diving important topics and creating more exclusive supporter perks as well as getting great guests on. And by the way, as a thank you for becoming a supporter, and depending on which supporter tier you select at Cicado.com, these perks range from my weekly recipe for success emails through to audios and video courses from my 23 Steps to Success, which includes online modules on how to find your life balance, gaining confidence, improving your time management, making successful career transitions, understanding financial independence, creating a life purpose, understanding and how to manage manage your money, becoming a money master, understanding negotiation techniques, learning to communicate more effectively, and so much more. So don't delay. It takes less than two minutes and you can become a Cicado supporter, helping to expand the show and get special perks as a thank you. Become a supporter now at cicado.com. Let's get back to the show.
2: Hello, it's Harms here and welcome to another episode of the Cicado Show. And today on the show, we are excited to be joined by a renowned guest and as you know on the show we bring in select guests who are experts in their field and also connect with the deep dive nature of the cicado show now bringing it to the present moment where we want to focus today in particular and learn from and glean insights from our guests expertise is by facing a tough subject head-on which is the stark reality. That COVID may not be going away, which raises a big question, how we can learn to live with COVID. Now, let that sink in for a moment. And if that has now sunk in, it's
1: time for me to hand over to Ro to introduce our special guest today. Over to you, Ro. Thanks, Harms. Hi, everybody. And again, as always, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and to be here listening. I am extremely excited, particularly as it's taken probably the good side of six yeah. months to arrange this <laughs> podcast to get our lovely guest in. She's actually a, a good friend of mine and somebody I think you're all going to fall in love with, and I hope we can persuade her to come back on again. But as as with any guest that we bring in, I'm going to do the formal introduction first before I then uh, just share my personal experience with Wendy so first of all we have Dr Wendy Denning who is basically in my mind the best doctor in the country but that's just a personal bias
0: very personal (laughs) bias (laughs)
1: Um, she's a GP in Harley Street for those of you that know this is a very 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 prestigious street for a lot of uh, you know specialists and practitioners she's been in this field for over 25 years and She co-presented a very successful Channel 5 ITV series called The Diet Doctors Inside Out. Now, some of you might go, oh, my gosh, that's Wendy. Yes. So, yeah, that's who we've got on today. She's been named in Tatler's top 200 doctors three years in a row and has featured regularly in the media over the last 10 years. Wendy's a strong advocate of functional and integrated medicine, which I think we're going to understand more about today. She set up the Health Doctors Clinic in 2007, bringing together practitioners from many different complementary specialties. She was one of the first doctors to offer intravenous, that's IV, vitamin and mineral therapy in this country. That's the United Kingdom where we're recording and to embrace bio-identical hormone therapy, which I think we're going to have to get her to explain more about later. She's well known for unraveling complex medical conditions and for coaching her patients to take better care of themselves which I know is going to be a theme of today and on a personal level uh, I've known Wendy for a long time Wendy now I can't believe it's probably a decade and you know what I love about this person that we've got on tonight this, this today this beautiful woman is that she's constantly learning constantly growing I was privileged to have her in the audience with me on several of my own personal development events to the point where I got to know her so well and I realized just how influential she was, I managed to persuade Wendy to come back and speak at a few of our health events we used to run with her lovely husband as well. And that was amazing. She's passionate. She's extremely honest. She's an amazing mum. She's unbelievably hardworking. I get messages from her sometimes really late when she's finished working with her clients. And everybody I know that's either met her or dealt with her just you know, although yes in her head she's incredibly uh smart and knowledgeable she just seems to flow from a place of the heart so Wendy yeah you know, all I can say is it's just a pleasure to have you here because you bring yeah. something different to the table it's not just your experience but this real passion and authenticity about how you show up so it's an absolute privilege to have you here today I know Harminda's been absolutely desperate to yes. meet you he's heard so much about okay. you so thank you for coming Aww. on
0: Thank you. That's such a nice introduction. It's almost brought tears to my eyes, actually. Oh, wow. So thank you. Well, I meant every
1: word. And I think, you know, we've been through a heck of a journey over the years, you and I, on many things. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing. I think most people don't, you know, they might read up on you and see you online, but they don't necessarily know your story. Um, bear in mind, you know, we, we are on a recording, so I'm conscious there's things you may not want to say. But could you take us back on a bit of a journey and how does somebody get to where you are how does Wendy Denning become Wendy Denning the, the woman she is today doing all the amazing things you are with your patients what's the journey take us back maybe to when you were younger all the way through
0: yeah well it, it is a long journey back it's it's longer than I'd ha- care to know anymore but um it goes back to when I was about eight years old in fact and at that time I was chatting to my father about going into medicine and I, he's, I said I want to be a nurse and he said you're never going to be a nurse he said it's you're too you know you're you want to be able to use your brain and not the nurses don't don't get me wrong but you know I was top of the class so he was really trying to give me a sense of what I could really achieve with you know with all of all the things that I have and he said you'll be a much better doctor than a nurse and I never looked back from that point, really. Um, It was that I, and I was put off because in those days, it wasn't a profession for women. I was advised to, you know, become a dentist or, you know, some other sort of nine to five job. And every time I looked at any other job, it was like, I don't want to do this. And by the way, I mean, I'm no good with my hands at all in that regard. I've been a useless dentist. So, you know, I really would have been. So I was very grateful for him setting me on a, on a sort of trajectory of what I could achieve and standing behind me and just helping me to get to that point and it really has been the greatest privilege of my life to be a doctor i think really it has been because people have shared their uh, you know their their journeys they've shared their fears they've shared their celebrations their anxieties they've shared so much personal stuff with me and to be able to make a difference in people's lives in that way is really Well, it is a privilege. I think that many people don't have such a privileged position in some ways. Mm. And I think, of course, what goes with it is responsibility. Um, The responsibility of of caring for people, of taking their lives and their concerns seriously, of trying to guide them to do the best for themselves. And I think that has been, you know, the guiding light with all of this, really. But it does go back a very long way. So it goes back to, I mean, when I I went into medicine with the integrated model in mind. So oh, really? I uh, absolutely, I mean, I was brought up, in those days, there was no such thing as organic. If you wanted to get organic fruit and vegetables, you've got them from the local health food store, that's where we got them from um we my mother would we'd would have a salad every day i was brought up with brown rice no limited sugar in the house so i was mm. brought up you know with supplements I, that's what i was brought up with and um and that's what i went into medical school with that concept of the integrated model but my father was worked at the London Business School. He was much more on the sort of, you know, the sort of business side of things and the practical side of things. And he's always said to me, he said, if you want to be taken seriously as an integrated practitioner, then you need to have very good traditional trade,
1: right.
0: And that was really, um, really helpful. And it's what I went ahead and did. So I took myself off to... I, I trained at University College Hospital. I then got in the GP training scheme at Northwick Park and Oxford, which is a couple of, in those days, were a couple of the best training schemes in the country. And then one of the things that I always had was I wanted to travel with medicine and in fact I left the country shortly thereafter um, and went off and that was uh, as well for personal reasons. I uh, had been married, my marriage broke down and I was invited to come to Canada and I spent about 10 years working and living in Canada Hmm. and working in the health service there and Loved it, actually. Absolutely loved it. And really, uh, that's where I got my, uh, I got quite a lot of training in this country. I got um, some experience before I left for a couple of years, and then a lot more experience in Canada. What brought me back to this country was my father's illness coming back. I didn't feel that it was right for me to be looking after the world and not looking after my own father. And so I came back to look after him. But on the sort of way back, I went off and did volunteer work in India. I worked on um, an eye camp. I worked on a mobile hospital. And those were very life-changing opportunities in many ways because I got an opportunity to see, you know, really how lucky we are with our health yeah Uh, in this country
1: so so along this way all these different experiences just shaping up your belief systems your values were any big decisions being made internally do you think or did that compound over time
0: well there was an aha moment actually (laughs) there was a one aha moment the interesting thing in canada was that you got paid for the number of patients you saw and Whereas in this country, you're paid as a GP for the number of people you have on your books. Right. So, you know, if you, I mean, this may sound like, the, I think the Canadian Health Service is absolutely phenomenal, actually. It really is. Um, but it's like all health services isn't perfect. And um, one of the things was that I, one day I was kind of going through the patients and, you know, if you like, you know, the, the people come in, they want a drug, you give them a drug, they leave, you know. And I just looked at this and thought, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I really can't do this anymore. This is not what I set myself up to be. I did. And I realized that I was really a front for the drug companies in some right. ways. I was, I was. Because I was in the needing to turn so many people through in a very short space of time, I wasn't really giving them that functional approach. I was thinking, how can I give them something that they can go away with and get out of their symptoms? And that invariably it, it was a drug, you know, because yes. that's the problem with the very limited time. And after that, I really couldn't go back to that practice of medicine in that way. Because I felt that I wasn't really practicing. I I wasn't practicing the level I wanted to practice. I, I just didn't want to be giving. Look, I will give you a drug if you need a drug. If you've got a chest infection, I may be the first to give you an antibiotic. In fact, yesterday, I was convincing a young girl with a bladder infection. Um, who rang me three times in one day, trying to decide whether she wanted antibiotics or not. I was the one that was pushing for the antibiotics. Mm. It's not to say I'm not going to give a drug. It's just that there's so often other things to do. Mm. And you need a bit of time to to explain those, to educate people, to assist them in, in, in being able to do something some of those other things and yeah. I couldn't do that I'm just going to find a solution that's drug-based anymore right. at, at that point
1: so you came back from India then what happened next
0: when so I came back, I was lucky enough to be invited to work with Dr. Ali. I'd been invited to work with him. Dr. Ali set up the first integrated medical center in this country, and it's quite a funny story because I'd been back looking, seeing my father the year before, and a friend of mine had said, go and meet with him, and you'll find him interesting, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I went off to meet with him, and he said to me, he just off the bat offered me a job a year later, and I said, Look, I have no intention of coming back to this country, and uh, that's very kind of you. But sure enough, a year later, I was back and I was working <laughs> with him. <laughs> and what was great about Dr. Ali was that he attracted a, a great following of really top practitioners, actually. Mm-hmm who were top of their game and that was sort of osteopaths and acupuncturists and um, uh, healers and you know reiki masters and physios and i mean you name it he had someone in that category ayurvedic practitioners they were all and he set up this center and it was so exciting and of course as time went on things changed you know at that point i mean i stayed with him for really quite a few years about seven or eight years and then i set up my own center and i you know handpicked the practitioners part of them came from the interior medical center but quite a number of them came from outside that i would worked quite closely with and i then went and set up my own clinic but it was very much um You know, and when I was first seeing patients, I I, I did a lot of training. I still do a lot of training. I mean, I'm constantly going off to conferences or these days a lot of it's, of course, webinars, but... I would, you know, we have to do 50 hours of continuing professional education every year. I mean, I'm always doing at least three times that amount because I enjoy it. In fact, if anything, I've had to limit myself because I am the mother of three children and it's not fair on them for me to be rushing off here and there. Um, You know, and I mean, you know, uh, for an instance, a lot of my patients were going up to a Chinese practitioner and one day I came, this was before I had kids, I said, Said to my husband, "Oh, I'm off to do um, a Chinese course this weekend," and he said, "Oh, that's great." She said I'll come along with you, and we both stayed in for two years and finished our training in Chinese medicine. <laughs> that's a sort of typical story, if you
1: like. I can believe that, knowing how deep you dive, <laughs> Wendy. I've got a question. I just want to
2: rewind slightly. There was a point in your story where you've spoken about you was in. I'm just going to call it this. Is my language, the conventional uh, medical world. And yeah. there was a point where you said you just couldn't practice this way anymore. Mm. Um, how did that form? And how did you make the decision to pivot to way? Because bearing in mind, listeners listening, you know, in, in the context of the real world or the context of uh, security, you know, you had the income, you had a job, uh, you was climbing the, the professional ladder in that sense. Mm. But then you made a decision to now step away from that. That couldn't have been easy. What was the process there? And what was... The, the big tug of war occurring
0: well i think the tug of war was i'd always wanted to do integrative medicine and i think i told you that i went into medical school like that and mm. i was you know i set up I was the first woman president um, of the clinical society in my in my medical school, and I then also uh, was running um, a group that brought in all sorts of practitioners into for um, people. So all the people that we just talked about were coming in to speak to the medical students, and that was in the first two years of medical school. So I was really returning to that, returning to you know where I wanted to practice. It was. So, and it was, there's never an optimal time. It's a bit like having a baby or, you know, there's never a a really optimal time to do, make a change like that. Um, So I think that was always on the cards. And it was just one of those aha moments Mm. where I just thought, no, I can't do this anymore. I need to be working, doing what I want to do and what I came to do. I think that's really what I felt. It was more what I came to do, and I yeah and I, I I observed that as well when I came back to work as a GP. Because I came when I came back, I was, you know, as you say. I mean, you know, I was probably that first year back. I can remember it because I only earned eleven thousand pounds in the first year that I was back. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, you know, quite a drop in salary, you know, really, um, but what it you know and during that time I worked as a local GP you know here and there and I you know second guess myself did I really want to go back and you know be a GP and I think I felt that I would burn out very quickly as a GP and I've certainly observed that in in some of my fellow GPs that the the pace at which people had to work and the uh, and also the sometimes the lack of appreciation with the patients of taking alternative route actually was something yeah I it thought,
2: almost feels like a disconnect between patient does, and yeah, g p
0: yeah actually, and I thought no, you know that's not that's not as that's not what i was meant i wasn't i was not brought into this world. And I need to do what I was meant to do, which is to get out there and educate and mm. get out there and help people to be the best version of themselves health wise.
1: I just wrote down great values. And One of our other podcasts, we talk about sticking to your values and, and making the, the shift to live your life according to that. And for anyone listening that hasn't listened to that podcast, you're, what you're listening to is a, a true life experience of somebody that's got a very strong set of core values. And, you can see here this in wendy it's like i need to realign to stay in touch with those values so it's a great message for anyone listening wendy although we're talking about health today i think there's an underlying that's why harms i think asked the question Mm. is you had the the courage to to follow those values not be not compromise those values for money etc which is a great message I know he's itching to ask you about the philosophy you have but just before that just want to kind of bridge the gap to here so how did the tv show come about the diet doctors uh just tell us a bit about that before we sort of dig deeper onto philosophy
0: yeah it was as many of these opportunities are in life I think I think it's very interesting I put out You know, I can say this in this setting. I put out to the world that I was ready to, you know, take a bigger role. Mm. And I, and when I say I put out to the world, it wasn't anything. I didn't go and sort of deliver leaflets through people's doors (laughs) or put that in the paper. I just meant to put out. I put an intention out into the world that I was ready to take this up to a next level, and. Uh, and sure enough you know within a year out of the blue and somebody came to me and said we would you know we're interviewing you know 12 people for the show and would you like to be one of them and I said yeah I would love to and uh I think the show worked because I had terrific chemistry with Vicky Edgson who was the nutritionist on the show and it was funny because we kind of we'd never met before but we were you know typically we were down in the ladies when we first met and you know we were doing our makeup or something and we just had such great chat and such a laugh and this was the first meeting we had and we knew we were going to get on and it was just great fun working with her we just had a blast actually we really did
1: Fantastic. And I mean, think about even back then when it started that that message you were getting out is now one today that people are still only discovering now. So it just shows you we've got to continually educate people through different media.
0: It's Ooh. funny. I mean, you asked me. We had a medical reunion, and I won't say which one it was because that would really, you know, show how long I've been doing this. But um, <laughs> but I remember after, it, one, you know, a lot of people came up to me and said, "You you, you haven't changed since you were at the beginning." You know, first in medical school, uh, your beliefs, and I was like, "Yes, that's great, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's always made a good." Me, time. Made my day, actually. <laughs> but I Amazing. and actually I was. The interesting thing, actually, about doing that TV show, because, you know, it's it's a jump to, you know, be on a camera and be in front of, you know, two million people, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And it's a jump. And I realized that I was actually not at all concerned what patients would think, because I knew that I was offering something to them that they weren't necessarily getting anywhere else. I was quite concerned about how uh, other colleagues in the profession would see where my mm. concerns came
2: so that sort of links back when you, to the values that you know Ro, Ro just spoke about and actually brings me on to my next question which is all of these in life and professional experiences that you've gone through is that what formed your philosophy when it comes to medicine when it comes to health and this may be a good time to define for the listeners who may not be aware uh, what what is integrated Medicine, integrated healthcare, and what is your philosophy going, like at present and going forward with with the kind of patients you connect with? A few items in that question there, but yeah. hopefully that question makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think the concept of integrated medicine is the concept of the body functioning in dynamic equilibrium. I mean, it works together. You cannot separate. You know the heart from the gut you know Uh, and so when you're looking at a patient's body you have to look at what how do they communicate with each other and that was i mean the medical model is set up to be to divide the body up and the only people that look more holistically at that are in fact GPs and that was one of the reasons I went into general practice was because the GPs were looking holistically but the training unfortunately in conventional medicine doesn't tend to sort of link the parts of the body together very well I think the training is very good at linking sort of mind, body, um, spirit, emotions I think the training is better on that regard But I don't think it's as good as sort of linking how, if you are, you know, if you've got Mm diarrhoea, why do you get heart palpitations? Why does that happen? You know, Mm -hmm. or um, let's think about if you're, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good example. I could come up with other. I won't bore you with that. But. You know, so you're looking, you are always looking at the mind body connection. And I think that is well represented in the medical profession. But I think the actual how the body all functions together, what impact, you know, uh, drugs have on the body, what impact supplements have on the body, what impact nutrition has on the body, lifestyle, all these things are all, you know, they're all coming into your body and the body has to process them out. So it's looking at how they all inter- interact inside your body really in the space of and it is relevant very relevant today it's also in the space of what thoughts you have and how that impacts you well yeah. so it is that integrated model looking mind body spirit but also on a physical level how does the whole body work together
1: wendy has has the reaction to that description you've just given me there has that reaction changed in two areas really one the 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 clients that you're seeing in terms of their openness to it, but also the profession as a whole. Because if you'd made that statement 25 years ago, you might have had a different reaction.
0: Well, that's why I was concerned, even. Because if you think back to that TV show, was 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) uh, Exactly. And it still is, uh, Hmm. you know, it's still an issue. I mean, for some uh, areas of the profession, it's still an issue that they are not, you know, I'm... (laughs) Actually, i give you an example. In my own family right now, you know, my daughter's got a weight issue, but she's also got an issue with her heels going on. And I take her off to see the endocrinologist, and I say, but she can't exercise at the moment. Right. Yeah, but that's not my concern. My concern is oh, I said, yeah. well, but she's hmm. gonna have a weight issue if she can't exercise, so yeah. <laughs> um, it is your concern actually. No, that belongs to another department. Oh so that, do you see that's that's yes. a sort of and part of that, in fairness to the doctor, part of that is, it is of course, training. Part of it is compartmentalization of a of a service. True. And, you know, and so I, I, I'm bringing it up as an example. It, but, you know, of course, the real thing there is, you know, some of that's not the individual doctor's fault. I'm not trying to make, no. you know, they, right. it's, they, it's
2: almost like that's the system that they are the educated in. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the kind of... Way uh, professionals are educated, it is in that kind of let's split the body up into different sections and departments, and you just learn and focus about that one element, which would then mean they don't know how it connects. Even though that example seems obvious to us, in a with a narrow focus, it's probably not obvious to practitioners as an example.
1: But what I I find fascinating it transcends across different areas. Mm. I I was a dentist maybe about four months ago, and I was having a conversation about different toothpaste alternatives to the mainstream toothpaste and the 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 dentist was absolutely no no you you need to be brushing with this and i said what about this this and this i don't know if it was whether just she was resistant to me suggesting something or she couldn't be bothered to look into it but it was a really interesting just like a brick wall It was Mm. like this is what you should use and it was almost a poo-pooing of anything that wasn't (laughs) produced through some sort of manufactured process It, it, it is frustrating i didn't get into a big one with her but i do see it across different fields as well unfortunately
0: um, it's still there and some yeah. days ago oh really you know um <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah so okay so th- this has helped actually because you kind of set the scene for the big question over the over the whole podcast which is living with covid and i know when we were communicating prior to the podcast that was a subject you really wanted to talk into so i guess let me trigger this off gonna or will probably follow up with another question Can we talk about living with COVID today? I mean, we're recording this now. It's been, what, about a year since we've experienced the full capacity of what it's doing. Talk to us from your perspective, because it is, Harminder opened really well with, we've got to accept it's now with us. Mm. A lot of people in their minds, I think, are still talking about, oh, it'll be gone in a certain time once X, Y, and Z's done. Hmm. i'm not of that i don't subscribe to that i think it's like flu it's with us now what what's talked about living with covid because people have been listening to this and fear is a big thing we'll come back and deal with that later but what's wendy's perspective on living with covid right now
0: yeah i think the concept of 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 covid is that i think no one thought it would go on this long i think that's the first thing we have to sort of you know, engaged with. I mean, yeah. I think we when we went into the first lockdown, the concept was we're all going to go in lockdown, and it'll all be over. But the thing is, if you read back through history books, which I think are really interesting, my father was loved history and read loads of history books, and you look read back over the Spanish flu, that most the biggest wave in the Spanish flu was the second wave. And in a way, that's reassuring because we have passed the second wave. We've had our second wave and we are now going on to our third wave. And we will have a third wave, in my opinion. Now, the question is, what, you know... How? What is that going to look like? Because one of the things we've done, which is a massive social experiment, um, and it may be the best thing we've done and maybe the worst thing we've done, we just don't know, is, is the vaccine programme. I mean, it looks like it's going to be such a good thing for opening up the communities and getting people back to... Uh, You know, life, I don't think I can say back to normal life because I think life has fundamentally changed as a result of COVID. I kind of put it in the category of 9-11. There are some things (laughs) that fundamentally changed at 9-11 and there Mm. are some things that are going to fundamentally change. So true, yeah. Not the least being, you know, how how often people go to the office. You know, that is probably going to be one of the biggest changes, but there are going to be many others. And, uh, I mean, in the medical profession, if I use that as one area, we were before COVID. You know, I'm going to focus on the positive because I prefer to focus on the positive. Um, You know, before COVID, people asking me, could they have follow-up appointments online by telephone? And our insurers were not very happy with us doing that many online or telephone calls because they felt it wasn't a proper consultation. We needed to see the patient well they've had to throw that one right out (laughs) (laughs) and that's a good thing in a way because so so long as you don't lose the skills of examining patients or looking at patients and being with patients and there's a lot of non-verbal information you get from patients which is lost on a phone call um and may or may not be got on a video call but um Certainly, if you're just discussing blood test results and we're going over results in general, you don't actually have to be in the same room together. So I think that will, you know, so that's what I mean about things have fundamentally changed. I don't think we'll go back to what we were before. I still, you know, so I'm still got, I've had a presence in, you know, throughout COVID, I've been seeing patients. We, of course, isolated in the first lockdown, but from beginning of June, Two thousand and will be back in the office, seeing patients, but we do. Uh, we're now doing video calls as well to follow up with patients. So that's a fundamental change. But so I think. You know we, we are going to have to change I, I think we are going to change how we look do life. I think there have been some other really good things of people leaving quieter lives. I think people, one of the things that people really enjoyed in the first lockdown was not running around um, and you know uh, you know in the same way, not sort of like headless chickens. Um, and I think many people enjoyed that. Quietness that came into their lives. And I think people are are still trying to refine that. Having said all that, you know, that quietness sort of became too quiet
1: Mm. and
0: and led to people being socially isolated and led to a massive increase in mental health issues, which I think we are going to have to address. But come back to the point. I think the point is that we are going to have to get out in the world now. We are going to have to, um, you know, get out, see people, live our lives. And we are going to have to acknowledge that there is still this, the COVID aspect like flu may still be there. And uh, for me as a doctor and for the sort of medicine I practice, it's absolutely about looking after your health. That's actually, for me, the biggest message. If I had a message out there, it is we have to take responsibility for our health. We have to take responsibility for our mental health, our physical health, our emotional health. And how best to do that is to really be looking after ourselves. And that includes getting enough sleep, uh, watching how much we drink how much exercise we're getting how much you know time we have for ourselves time for our family so that we are really living you know if we expect to have optimal health and we're out there you know Staying up late, you know, drinking a lot of alcohol, eating, you know, pizzas or, you know, every night. We are not going to be putting our bodies in the best state to fight mm. this virus. And I think that is, you know, we are, you know, we are, and we're also, if we were to get the virus, we are not going to be in a good state to fight, you know, to. Uh, to a to prevent getting it but secondly how we get over it and i think those are the things we need to really start embracing with i think um we cannot expect the vaccine to do the work that we need to do for ourselves i think that's what i'd like
1: to say on that note then so let let me separate because you've covered quite a big subject you just jumped into it there which i think if you're okay i'd quite like to break it down bring us back to that the you know the 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 next part um and to ask about living generally with illness because i know it's a passion of yours is to address that subject let's stay in the covid conversation a little bit longer Mm -hmm. um harminder i noticed you you wrote down a word i i let me just jump
2: in because i wrote down a word word which you said wendy which was responsibility and i think what's happened to all of us Um, as a collective is uh, we've, by default, by force, by, you know, lack of power, the responsibility, it kind of looks like it just got taken away from us by the fact Mm. that we were told we have to do, uh, you know, do this, this, and this, you know, i.e. social distance, wear mask. I'm not saying anything about those particular items. It's just the fact that we were instructed and the instruction, if you didn't adhere to it, came with, like came with fines so i came with, uh, came with a consequence if you didn't adhere to this so the responsibility had been taken away and now medically the responsibility has been taken away because hey there's a there's a vaccination which you've just uh, highlighted there so how do we now after spending a year a year and a half or how do you explain to your patients that uh, you know you may have given away your responsibility f- for a while but how do you now empower them to take that responsibility back knowing that the 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 way information comes at us is, you know, the vaccine will solve it. Whatever we say as an authority or as a government or as a system, that will solve it. You just got to stick to what we are saying. How, how do we transition back and take back our responsibility?
0: I think we take that back by reminding people that the vaccine was never intended to stop people getting COVID. I mean, it's great if it does, but actually the real thing is, is that the vaccine was put out there to protect vulnerable people. And so yeah. we are going to be seeing people getting COVID who've had the vaccine and who haven't had the vaccine. That's still gonna be going on because there are people out there that can't have vaccines for all sorts of reasons, don't want to have vaccines for all sorts of reasons. And then there are people there that want, you know, vaccines and those lining up at the door, but will still be vulnerable. And I can say that because I've been testing people to see what their response to the vaccine has been, and it varies. So, uh, you know, that's just on a medical note. Um, And that's, of course, what we're seeing. But what I think that's one side of it, but we really have to come back and say, what is it that actually protects us from any virus or Any illness, and that is our health, you know, and our health is our immune system is and how we do life is what protects us. So we just have to start engaging with that. And I know that that is easier said than done for people who've got limited um, financial resources who've got who've already got a health condition who've got stresses on their lives that are make that taking their own health seriously more more difficult mm. but we do have to in the end we do have to re-engage with that
1: okay so this re-engagement let's see if we can put for everyone listening to this there's so much coming from wendy here i want to try and pull the but the the spaghetti strings out because the word fear came up there as well. Mm. So, so, so there's an accept, we all have to accept. This is the underlying message. It's here. We're going to have to live with it. There's an element of responsibility, a big element, which we need to take back, take back control. We'll come back and talk about that. But I think the bridge from you know, the the experience of living with COVID to, okay, I'll take back responsibility. How can I handle and, and look after my health and illness? The bridge across that is dealing with fear in between that. Can we talk into that space? Because there seems to be, Harminder and I were out the other day and we were walking along the street and literally... Somebody is an elderly lady, wasn't it? She, mm-hmm. she she stopped and looked at us in horror, and, and kind of we stopped, and she sort of walked around us and almost crossed the street to come around us, even though there wasn't a lot of space on the path. We were trying to move to the side, and it just showed me even now people are still extremely fearful because they just don't know. This lack of knowing is creating even more fear. Mm-hmm. Can we can we talk about that fear and 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 the fear around COVID and what you've seen and maybe what people can do to alleviate that?
0: I think there is. Yes, I mean, you know, I had a patient in my office this week who has been doubly vaccinated and is fearful and was is fearful about... I'm I, At the moment, because of everything, I socially distance in my office. So, I, I, you know, when I'm talking to patients, because it's hard to talk with a mask on, we keep six feet apart, which I can be lucky enough to be able to do in the office I've got now, um, and we... And when I'm then coming up to examine the patient, I've got my mask back on again. But she didn't want to take her mask off because she was fearful, even with that social distancing. Right. And it reminded me of where the mindset is of people. And I think it's it's they've seen so much on TV, on you know, on the radio, you on conversations, they've seen so much about, you know, you're gonna get COVID. And you're going to, you know, you're going to be in hospital and you could die. You know, I think that is, and I will speak, I'm going to speak on a personal level here, I had COVID in November and I I had a, a, you know, one of the things we need to understand is, you know, viral load matters. And I got it from my husband who's traveling and uh, I, he was quite he wasn't very unwell actually because he probably got in in passing from traveling whereas in our house and so he had a heavy cold and he didn't really have many other symptoms so we weren't certain it was COVID in fact we're pretty certain it wasn't Well, he was until I came down quite unwell but I right. was tired when I came down a well, while I'm going to take full responsibility for that I was sleep deprived and tired when I came down with it I was quite unwell. And when it came to day 10, all of these thoughts came into my head because we've been listening to, and my biggest fear was that I was going to end up in the hospital and I was going to end up like Boris you know that was my biggest fear mm. <laughs> and it, honestly and <laughs> I've never been fearful I've always assumed that I would get better with whatever it was and I don't get ill very often so it was probably a shock to the system it was it wasn't probably it was a shock to the system I've never yeah. been in bed for that length of time yeah but truthfully what kicked in at that day 10 was the fear and i I had it again with a patient this weekend who was, you know, by, by day eight, he said, I really don't feel well. And I'm, and he was just so afraid. And uh, and I've had another patient that ended up, you know, under with a psychiatrist because he was so afraid with COVID. So where is that fear come from? Because I'm not a fearful person. And it's coming from that constant message, which is, you know, you've got to be worried. COVID, you know, you're going to end up like those people in the ICU. You're going to be very sick with it. And Mm. I just reminded this, as someone reminded me, by the way, what are the statistics of ending up on the ICU? What are the statistics Mm. of even going to hospital, particularly now with the vaccine being rolled up? But what are the statistics of actually dying from COVID? And it's, you know, it's minuscule, actually. It really is minuscule. So we have to really, you know, yes, we might be ill for a longer period of time than we thought we were going to be. And that's a shock for many people, I think, because we're used to being sick for a little while, taking something and we get back with our lives, you know, and that's it. We just crack on. And the number of people I see... Where they're you know they they get something and I'm like well what are you doing for yourself well I'm you know I can't, the trouble is I can't, you know I, I, I can't get a report out I'm like you're ill you know yeah. you need to be resting your body is calling for rest and I, I mean you know and I think that that was what I had to say to this patient this weekend rest can, can you, you you know he said well you know I said go to bed and sleep and that's what we have to do you know we can't be taking medications to you know make us feel better and then not doing the things the body is calling for us to do to get us better in that instant
1: it's interesting what you say about fear because as you know we we had in the time i've known you we've had two beautiful daughters and both of them were born naturally no drugs hypnobirthing and when when my first was born savannah my lovely partner, Stina, would wear this badge. It's like, I don't want to hear your birthing stories. And I remember we went into into a, (laughs) when we were trying to find, uh, you know, the appropriate place for the birth, because it was first baby. So as much as we wanted to have it at at home, the suggestion was we didn't. So we were looking for a birthing center and we happened to go to one, I think it was uh, Hereford from memory. And we were looking there, but they took us into the main birthing area and it was actually more conventional. And as we walked in, we were with about eight other parents and the nurse turned around and said, first of all, this is where the drugs will be put into you and because potentially you're going to have a huge amount of pain. So I'm sure you're all going to want to be drugged up. And as soon as we heard that, we both looked at each other and we just turned around and walked out and we just said, right, we're not ever going to come into this space because you could see the other women's faces and our experience, and certainly Stina's experience of the birth was completely opposite to that. And I realized that, and she just didn't want to hear other people's experiences because she knew that that would unconsciously start to trigger fear in her which is exactly, exactly. what i'm describing here yeah. except that was one conversation that wasn't mass media in our faces every single day everywhere you walk even the public then looking at you other people you were yeah. you were shouted at when covid first came uh, i've been shouted at uh, you were walking on the yeah. street with your baby was-
2: uh, loading the baby into the car and uh, we had I think it was just middle-aged elderly that they had a go at us you shouldn't have been doing that. And I was a bit taken back myself. But I think, you know, we are human beings and when the message is as constant and consistent as Rose just described, uh, we can't help it but be fearful. It takes Mm. an extremely strong mindset, which not everybody has, to feel that, Mm. you know, Mm. to to make sure you protect yourself from that. And I've got a a question uh, back to you, Wendy, which is, in the patients you're seeing, especially in the younger generation, yeah. what are you observing in terms of fear around COVID? What, what, is, what is young people's attitude towards COVID? And even health in general, have, have you seen uh, have you seen trends or have you seen suddenly a shift? For example, have the younger generation always been blasé about health? And then all of a sudden now they're like in a panic mode. What uh, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but what mm. have you observed in the younger generation? Can, to, can to we throw them? in a
1: contrast to maybe people at the older as well? Be quite interesting if there is a difference.
2: Yes. Is there a genuine difference between the attitude of the young to uh, the more elder generation who may instantly feel like, because I'm older my immune system is weaker and that means I'm going to end up in hospital basically whatever the media is telling us that's what they feel their path is going to be maybe the young people feel differently
0: well that's interesting i mean i i probably don't see um you know don't forget i'm seeing people who've got a health concern more than you know so in some ways i'd direct that question back to you and your you know the people you mix with but um, but what I will say is, firstly, that I think there's a more there's a there's a group that are you know in the under forties. There's 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 been a shift in people taking more care for themselves. So I've got some stepsons that are in that age, and I. I think it's wonderful that they come and actually lecture to my husband and I about how to eat. I mean, you know, (laughs) I find it fantastic because, um, you know, when I came into their lives, they were all teenagers and um, I was, you know, trying to, you know, lecture to them, I wasn't lecturing to them, but both their parents were, you know, trying to guide them in how to eat, and we were, you know, doing all the right things. And now I, I feel like it's turned full circle. They're having their own kids. They're, they're very much engaging with, you know, good health practices now. Whether that's widespread or not is hard for me to really judge. But I said sense- that's
1: also a chip off the block. I mean, I know, I'm sure it's, <laughs> I'm sure that's passed down from your just the way you live as well.
0: It's wonderful, though. I just find it fantastic, actually. I really do find it fantastic that, you know, that we've gone full circle. It gives me a lot of faith in my own children, I think. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, all the resistance that one encounters in the teenage years will then, you know, dissipate eventually. The messages Will have eventually
1: landed where they needed to. Well, I'll hold on to that thought for my two. Um, <laughs> but you, you just raised a good point harms i mean wendy and i are asking you so we're obviously in a different generation what are you seeing at the moment what, what do you what's your gut feeling the younger p- person's reaction uh, to all uh, this is that, that's a good question Ro. i think my gut feeling
2: aligns with what wendy is saying certainly what i've seen in my social circles right which is people of my generation are a lot more health aware and mm. I'd say that's because of some fantastic role models that exist in the world, you know, mm. in, especially in the sports field. The sports yes. field is you want to be an athlete like the Cristiano Ronaldo's of this world. Uh, recently, he publicly moved the uh, soda company's bottle. So he was being interviewed after the game. He moved the soda bottle out of the frame really? of video, which he got in yes. trouble with. So and, he he, in trouble with and then he put the yeah. water bottle uh, on front of him and said, aqua. <laughs> And I thought
0: that was fabulous. I
2: thought that was fabulous as well, because this is somebody who's the top of his game. Iconic mm-hmm. people of our generation think he is the best of the best. And if that's his message, mm. what it leaves us with is, okay, we want to be like that. right? Mm. So I think that kind of messaging, because this is the advantage and the pro of social media and, and the media, you know, the fact that we can get information so readily available is... When something magical like that happens, it does now spread. That message spreads. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that there's a smaller subsegment who, you know, again, it's inevitable who give into the marketing m- message of the junk food, the the takeaway style living, the fast food, the instant gratification. But I think that's lesser uh, than maybe a different generation. I think people are now aware of their health. Right. And mm-hmm. if anything, my f- I don't know if this is for true, but my fingers are crossed and I hope this is that the younger gener- generation are seeing and living through COVID. So they're, hopefully their mindset is, I need to be protected for when something like this happens again. Mm-hmm. Because we had MERS, we had SARS, now we've got COVID, something is going to happen again. So sure. I think uh, certainly for the listeners of this podcast, we've had a lot of other special guests talk about health and now we've got Wendy talking about health. I think Wendy mentioned immune system. I hope the message we all take on is let's protect our bodies Mm. so that when something like this happens again, you know, we're not giving away our responsibility as we've spoken about. Mm. Uh, But that's my observation. And it's interesting to see it's actually in alignment with what Wendy's seeing more more in
1: in terms of her family life as well. That's a great message. Well, I guess that kind of steers us. So, So just wrapping up on fear, is there an underlying message here? I mean, we can't tell people not to follow the media, but what... What do you say if you if I was your client? Let's let's just do a hypothetical, Wendy. Right? Mm. I'm saying, and I'm, I'm I was watching the news the other day, Wendy, and I, and I heard this, and they said, I what if if I'm coming with that type of fear, what would you be saying to me sensibly? That obviously there's boundaries here, but what would be a simple message to help me shift that focus, knowing I trust you? Mm. What would be a Wendy Denning message to me if I'm coming with? I'm listening to this, I'm reading this in the newspapers, I'm terrified. Maybe I'm thinking I shouldn't take the kids out what would you say to me from your perspective
0: well i would say that you know constantly listening to the news is probably going to be uh, mm. something you should avoid if you're really engaging with fear because yeah. the problem is is it's a very negative message that's coming to us we don't hear about success stories we don't that's so true yeah we hear about Oh, you know, this yeah. one's rising, yeah. you know, this many people are going into hospital, we've got daily statistics. What we don't hear about is all the people that have, you know, sailed through, actually, yeah, of differing ages, you know. And it's always wonderful to hear about those things, and we just don't hear enough about it. And I think we don't hear enough about it because there's a, you know, a, 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 there's there is that sort of social control going on, which is... If we keep people in a fear-based mindset, then we can, you know, push them towards what we want to do as a society. And I'm, you know, and I think, you know, I don't believe in, in in people being engaged at that level. I think we need to be engaged at the level of this is what we need to do as a society to protect ourselves, and this is what we need to do to our fellow human beings to protect ourselves. Rather than you know all you know be, you know all the first stuff.
1: So-, so it goes. It goes back to what you talked about earlier about the mind body connection. And yes, it's recognised in the medical profession. I think those of us in the field that we're in, which is obviously human development, human evolution, and and getting people to go through growth, it's certainly something for years I've been dedicated to that. There is a direct relationship there. Uh, But when it's constantly coming at us, uh, there's almost like an adrenal burnout to some extent for some people on on a macro level because it's just constant, 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 constant. And that's
0: why you have to step out of it and really you know maybe listen to the news, you know you know even once a week you know yeah. once a day do you know what i mean you don't you don't con- i think once a day is too much actually yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, nothing i do. That. i I, I've, I must admit I've tuned right out, and um, of course then they're driving out they're going to a shop, and there's big signs, everybody mm. I mean, we even had a local health shop where I was really surprised they had, they ended up getting a security guard in to make sure, and this really shocked me actually, because it's one of our quite well-known health shops, but it was to to make sure that people were coming in and he was stopping people and telling them, put the mask on, limiting. And it wasn't like a shop. It wasn't somebody working in the shop. It was actually a security person. Mm. That's pretty scary. When you get to that point, I yeah. think it, it, it does start to make you feel a little bit like we're under... I do martial law, but we won't go there because you'll press yeah. a, red, a red flag for me. Can, yeah. can we so come back? I
0: think, but, yeah, coming back to the fear, I think there's a lot more things we can do. I think, you know, I think we, we engage more with fear. I mean, I talked about being sleep deprived when I got COVID. I have to take full responsibility for that. And um, so getting adequate sleep. There's been good studies to show that people who are sleep deprived are more vulnerable to COVID. Number one, Mm. you know, exercise. We know that exercise boosts our system. Get out and exercise. The other thing about exercise, and particularly if you're outside, you know, you've got beautiful countryside around you. Being out in nature always makes you feel less anxious. It really Mm. does. Mm. You know, it's there's a grounding that goes on, and you see that life goes on. You know, the plants come up and they go down. You know, it, it there is a cycle of life on so i think that's very important i think limiting alcohol and i really want to stress this because alcohol has been massively on the increase in this country as a result of lockdown now i find that fascinating mm. alcohol consumption has gone down in france and it, it's gone down in quite a few of the other countries but france is a good example of this because what that tells you is that the french are drinking a different way to the way
1: yeah. And mm.
0: and I know that the Dutch do. My husband's Dutch. And when we go, uh, you know, when we go out in, if my husband likes a glass of wine, he might have two or three glasses because he likes the taste of wine, but he doesn't go to get, I'm just going to numb my feelings with alcohol.
1: Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the that Fr- is the so French are, different. The French are similar. They enjoy the experience of eating. A meal is much longer and slower, That the wines come in in a different way um, it's
0: not that we can't enjoy the alcohol but we, what are we using it for are right. we using it to numb our feelings and if so we need to really watch that because alcohol will lower your immune system it depletes your body of vital minerals not the least being magnesium and zinc zinc so important for the immune system one of the things we know is that you know patients many of the patients that are in the icu whatever are low in zinc low in vitamin d so you know having you know I would say everyone needs to be on vitamin D. We don't get enough sunshine in this country, particularly if you've got any colour of skin. You've got even more of a problem right. in this country. You know, uh, uh, there's not enough vitamin D here for for the lighter skin people, never mind the darker skin. So, you know, <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> yeah, that's, and where that's me. You know, mate. That's me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and there's nothing racist about that. It's just
1: no, no, but it's true. I mean, I, no, but that's true, absolutely, absolutely true. And I think a lot of people with dark skin don't realise. that. That. I mean, we've been up in our doses yeah, a we lot have, this yeah. last year.
0: Yeah. Um, just, you know, just,
1: so- just adding to that as well. What's your thoughts on digital media and you know screen time uh being sat there? D- does that fall into that uh, your view in terms of looking after ourselves mentally?
0: Absolutely, it does because. Um, a, it stops, you know, stops as exercising. You know, it, it, I think people have been much more on their screens, I mean, uh, since lockdown. And in fact, you know, that's been a real problem. In and I think, you know, you don't move as much. Um, yeah, you true. are vulnerable to all messages coming in, but you also probably don't sleep as well, actually. No. If you, the evidence suggests that if you're on the screen late at night, before you go to sleep, that impacts your sleep. Your mind is turning over with all this information, and I think one of the things that I feel about you know, uh, it, you know. Uh, it's, it's just information overload. And I'm not just talking about the COVID information. I'm just talking generally, generally information yeah. Yeah. overload. And then your body's got to process all of that at night. So, you know, that's when your mind kind of, if you like, does a filing system and sort of puts it all in categories and places so that you start the next day relatively flat, fresh. But The problem you...
2: is a lot of people have a lot of junk information coming in. Right. So, you know, how many filing cabinets do you have to sort the junk? <laughs> (laughs) and it's exactly
1: absolutely look this kind of is steering us towards the overarching subject of illness in general and i know it's been a passion of yours for so long now can we take the podcast in that direction sort of before we sort of wrap everything up and talk about living with illness because covid and that's i think the other thing is we've forgotten about all the other things i remember when my stepfather who's now 87, but this is going back many, many years, got bronchitis and he was really ill. I mean, he was probably out for seven, eight, nine days or so uh, and very frail, but it was, there was a sort of reaction to it. Oh yeah, yeah my mum had this, my dad had this, you know, were, because it wasn't new to us and he just lay in bed and rested and he's of that age group. So when I hear covid today i just wonder how we'll be talking about it in 10 years oh yeah yeah he's got covid don't worry, he'll recover from it it's because it's new but there's there's so much illness there's many other illnesses around it can we talk about living with illness in general and people's relationship with it mm,
0: that's a really interesting question um and it encompasses different things i've talked a lot about looking after the body but it also encompasses our, our view of ourselves as well and I remember years ago being at the American Holistic Medical Association conference. This was back in the late '90s, and I remember there being a woman there who was in a wheelchair and she had a progressive neurological neur- neuromuscular condition, and and she said, and she was one of the more powerful speakers that was there, and she said, I had to learn to love my body and 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 we were all kind of looking at her and thinking how can you do that with a body like that you know if I'm honest if I'm really you know <laughs> yeah of course
2: yeah
0: I, I mean that's being brutally honest because you know and it was so fabulous because she just said i would i learned that i broke my body down and I look I looked in a in a mirror and I just fell in love with a certain part of my body that day. So I would just Amazing. wait and keep looking at that part of the body till I fell in love with it. And she said I kept doing that process. And by the end of it, I fell in love with my body. And I think I bring that up because we don't know what our challenges are going to be in this life. We are going to be presented with challenges. They may be psychological challenges, physical challenges, emotional challenges, whatever they are, but we are going to have to engage with them. And actually, you know, that's part of being a human. And we have to, you know, the challenge is to see our way through and come through to the other side. And that is, does require us to engage with. It may require us to engage with illness, and it may require us to, you know, spend longer in bed or to have our body in a more deformed way. But some of the most, like that woman, some of the most inspiring people I've met over the years have been people who've either got through through sort of a, a health challenge or they're still living with a health challenge and they've learned to manage it. And... These are some of the most inspiring people. I mean, my if I my aunt was one of those women. She was diagnosed with hypothyroid disease and polio when she was a child. She had a deformed right arm. She never my father was six foot two, she was five foot two because she didn't grow because of the thyroid. She was one of the most um, and she, subsequently, had more health challenges as life went on. Mm. She was one of the most productive, inspiring women Fantastic. that you will meet, because she learned to manage herself within her limitations and be the best version of herself as as time went on, and to
2: understand and
0: to accept. But, you know this might have come as a result of that okay so how am i going to manage it so osteoporosis for instance came in later because of the thyroid condition she had quite severe osteoporosis not to be outdone she became one of the key members of the sort of osteoporosis society one of the key advocates for educating people on how to best handle their osteoporosis That's- so wendy
2: those are two fantastic examples of Somebody who is living with illness, but they have acknowledged it, and their self value is high. Uh, you mm. know, they have a great self worth, which is a phenomenal message there. But in contrast, do you think, uh, you know, I, I put in quotation marks, people, even people who are not ill, think that illness is equivalent to being weak and turning up into society in a weak way, uh, because that's my kind of feeling or thinking that when somebody thinks somebody's ill, it's that instant reaction. Okay. Well, this person's weak, whether well, it's in the workplace with a personal life and they don't get to live. You know, the, the question, question we're well asked was living with illness. If I was to underline the word living, you know, they are still living uh, the two examples you gave an amazing life with what we would class as illness. Mm. Do you think the the word weakness plays a role there in people's perception, and and how can we shift that? You know, if listeners are listening to this.
0: I think uh, it does. It can do, and uh, and there is always a moment with any illness where you do feel weak. You know, uh, you, your body is is is, and that's a time for reflection. I feel like you know any illness brings us to our knees and makes us reevaluate. Should make us reevaluate our lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can speak about patients with cancer. Some of the cancer patients I see are some of the healthiest people once they've had a cancer diagnosis, actually, because for the f- they've suddenly <laughs> got hit over the head by a 2 yeah, oh, by yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And
0: they really do all the things that they know they should have done years ago. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: uh, they're actually engaging with it. And if you saw them walking on the street, you would mm. know that they've got cancer uh you know because the, the because they look so healthy. So um so that's that's an example of that. But I think all illnesses are a time for resetting the system and yes we all feel weak when we're diagnosed with an illness and we all feel like there's a moment where we'd all like to sort of give up and curl in the corner and just pull the new baby our heads. Um, but we have to move through that. And I think but I think society. I think the point you made is an interesting one. It's what societal changes, and I think society is, you know, has really engaged with some of that. You know, that that concept of weakness, where we. Uh, you know, where where there's the understanding of people being disabled getting out to the workplace uh, is being there's a lot of provision for it. I find that there's ongoing, there's still a lot of work to do. I was listening to, uh, I was listening to the radio yesterday and was hearing about a poor MP who's you know not getting you know. Um, She's not been granted um, a proper maternity leave, despite the fact that she's come down with some illnesses before the delivery of her baby. Uh, and that's because she's an MP, and that's because the rules don't allow for that. You know. Right. Uh, so there's still work to be done in terms of laws, in terms of provisions out there in society, and you know, quite a few people came on and said she's not the only one. So we still need to be keeping fighting that flag. But it does have to be done on an individual level as well. We have to, you know, engage with the fact that no one's perfect in any way, shape, or form in life. And that, you know, imperfection is 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 the human state. And therefore, we'll have relative degrees of, of, uh, of weakness or strength. And we have to maximise our areas of strength.
1: So I've just, as you... As you've been talking, I've sort of written down some key messages coming out of living with illness. Number one is to accept that it's there. Sometimes we do get ill. It's not necessarily a measure of weakness. I thought it was a good question from harm. So it's more a case of, okay, let me accept it now. I've written down here, rest and reset, meaning it's a chance to reflect and say, okay, Maybe, as you quite openly said, maybe I was just burning the candle at too many ends, which does not surprise me at all, <laughs> Wendy. And then, and then COVID knocks on the door and says, Oh, well, I'll come in here because we've got, you know, we've got a person that's not looking after themselves. Easy access, yeah. Um, yep. it, is, it is part of the human state, the human condition. I've just written that down as you were talking there. And hey, you know what? Let's take responsibility for this instead of sort of looking elsewhere, blaming something else, or trying to take a drug for it necessarily instantly. I'm not saying don't take a drug, I'm just saying other things that we can do to take responsibility i mean is that a, a sensible summary of what yeah. you're sharing
0: and watch your thoughts you know oh, watch and your watch, thoughts, watch, yeah. thoughts? yeah and watch your thoughts because your thoughts determine how you treat yourself um and actually that that i will share this actually it was sweet. i um i decided that you know uh, that healing was the way forward at day 10 i needed to do a sort of Reset, and the healer basically said to me, "If you loved yourself unconditionally, how would you treat yourself?"
1: Mm, very um, good question. Very good question.
0: That was so powerful. And That's I a keep... great
1: one for this podcast. We should, we need to get that. Re- <laughs> I'll get, get that the title. Fantastic. <laughs> Bold letters, yeah.
0: <laughs> You know, and I've been reengaging with that. And you know, would you do? Da-da-da? Would right. you think? Da-da-da-da? Would you? You know, uh, no, you wouldn't.
1: So so even the the concept of accepting that illness is part of the human state, I know we 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 do our best to move <clears> away from it by eating healthy. Well certainly, you know, I've had the same philosophy in Harminda. But the fact is if it does come along, if people aren't careful, the constant living in fear of maybe getting this or or, or feeling sick, that in itself becomes a self fulfilling prophecy because the, the, it fear itself then lowers the immune system biologically, Correct. doesn't it? Yeah. Could you explain just briefly how that? Because some people go, "How does fear lower your immune system?" From your perspective as a doctor, just a few examples of what it does to the body that, that feeling of fear.
0: Well, I think it paralyzes us. So I think that's number one. You know, it, it, on a just a pure practical level, it paralyzes us, um, and so we are. You know, we we can be so fearful that we can't actually do the things that we that um, we should be doing. You know, for ourselves, because we're too. You know, we we kind of. It's a bit like a a rabbit and or a deer in front of the headlights. We just get very fearful. I think it leads us into um, activities that are. We talked about alcohol before. Come back to that. Yeah. You want to numb the body. We don't want to feel that fear anymore. So we go off and we. Get drunk, or we, you yeah. know, take a pill, so which behave, then is yeah, yeah. something else that the body has to deal with, rather, you know, rather than dealing with what it should be dealing with. Um, I think also it, it, it depletes the body of minerals, um, and that's just on a practical level, you know. It, it, it so it because it use it uses a lot of energy in the body. You know, it's, you know if you look at someone who's fearful, they their mind is going, you know, 10 to the dozen. You can always see it turning around. And that is all got to be, you know, generated by the body producing neurochemicals, um, you know, to keep that going, if you like. So that depletes the body. And I think, yeah, it changes the the neurotransmitter balance in the body, I think, Mm. is the other thing. It just changes the neurotransmitter balance. It becomes... Out of the kilter it has an effect on our digestive system it tends to constrict our blood vessels so uh, uh, because you know that fight and flight is part of that whole fear mechanism and so we go into that sort of you know fight and flight situation which is the blood gets distracted away from the digestive system we constrict our muscles um, uh, arteries around our heart so None of those things work as effectively as they might do, and we just put ourselves at you know increased risk of you know all sorts of things. I think the other and, thing, Yes, yeah, sorry, go on.
1: As you said, the compound, as you're describing it in my mind, it's I'm thinking of the compounding effect of this, especially with the lack of sleep. I can you can instantly feel how the body's you, you can what you've described there, you can almost see in a person's face, can't you? Yeah. It's almost a sense of exhaustion and they're fatigued the skin is slightly gray off color and it almost sounds like a domino effect it yes. starts with fear and
2: then each right. domino is knocking and then it self-perpetuates then yes
1: because then people go oh my god maybe i've got it <laughs> oh.
0: yeah, absolutely it is i mean to the point that it actually impacts fertility
1: right
0: um, it can you know impact long-term memory storage in the brain you know so it, it, the more you're fearful the more you know, the compounding, I, I think back actually to woman who had cancer and was coming to the end of her life. And she just said to me, I'm so afraid of dying. And yeah. I just was like, and actually, I found that I found it deeply distressing, actually, to see her, I'll be honest about it, because we're all going to die. Yeah. And to have someone, I felt so deeply saddened by her stay because I thought, this is an awful way to end your life, mm. Being because we're all going to die. And yes, it, and, and it wasn't really the process of dying so afraid of, she was just afraid of death. I can understand the process. I think most of us are a little afraid of how we'll die. No one wants to die, you Mm. know, in tragic circumstances with a lot of pain. But so that I totally understand. But it is that fear, that overwhelming fear that, that was there that is... You know, that was just – there was no way of really getting me onto her concept of fear, and I thought she's going to take this to her death, and, and that is just such a pity.
1: Well, on a personal level, um, you know, I had a really huge insight talking to you two or three years ago, and I remember I called you privately because my mum uh, had experienced progressive heart failure, as you described it to me afterwards. I only understood the full extent of what that meant. Do you remember I was calling Dude, you because yep. I was – being me, being Ro, trying to fix whatever I could and wanting to bring my uh, belief systems and values about what I thought she could do to improve a situation. I was kind of resistant to what the doctors were saying. I needed to talk to somebody that could sit both sides of that fence. I'm getting emotional even as I'm saying this now. And I remember I ended up in tears. And my fear was growing inside me about what might happen to my mum. And I still remember you describing what happened to your father. And you said to me, Ro, you know, your mum's, that's her, path she's on and you you can't necessarily force her to make decisions she doesn't want to do and if you do that that might actually create more stress for her and you you your your words of wisdom to me were maybe just accept that she's making her choices and 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 just let her know that you're not going to judge her because i was getting quite frustrated do you remember that conversation mm, yeah and, and, it, it, and, and that fear I, was building up in me and it was making me feel run down and i could feel my immune system dropping because i was worried about her and that message of acceptance, I actually wrote a letter to her in the end and just said, look, I'm sorry if I've been very pushy and it's just because I love you, et cetera. And that release for me emotionally, I slept so well the next night. It was crazy. Oh, that's um, such,
0: that's a, such a great story. And it is, you know, we do have to, I mean – you know, we have to let our children at a certain point live the paths that they're going to live. We have yeah. to let our parents live the path that they're going to live. And sometimes it can be, you know, I know for people, because I, I get these calls all the time from parents grown children excruciatingly watching a particular path of child an older child i'm not talking about children that are still under right. our guardianship if right, you like. Sure. i'm yeah. talking about you know ones that are post post 18. they're taking a particular path and how do they, you know the impact that they can have on that And how do they sit with it and it's, it it can be excruciating but it is part of that uh, you know, acceptance of, of letting people because we don't know what people's experiences need to be in this life, we don't actually know that,
1: and no.
0: we have to be, you know, we have to be understanding that people have the path they take, and, and but but if they take that, path, they have to take responsibility. We come back to what yeah. we talked about much right. earlier,
1: well, exactly. What,
0: they must take responsibility for that choice,
1: if you like. Well, on that note, I mean, just list there's so many things we've written down. If you saw the paper that's in front of myself and Harms, are you able to share maybe some some practical things that the listener can implement now, whether it's in terms of um, you know, their mental health? dealing with the situation we're in right now or illness or in terms of some practical things they can do to improve their health i know you could sit there for an hour and list things out but what what would be some simple steps they could do whether it's to do with either vitamin supplements or mindset or attitude or what would you recommend
0: i think i'd start with the intention and i you know i'm going to quote from hippocrates and it's on my website a wise man should consider that health is the greatest of human blessings
1: Mm, lovely.
0: And that's got to be the place of intention because everything flows, as you know, Ro, from intention. Yeah. And if we don't hold a high intention for our health, we won't honour our health. And everything must flow from that place. And I, if I had one thought about, one wish for this COVID, is that people would... Just recognize that they must take their own health more seriously and not put it in the hands of other people, not sort of hand it over to other people, but actually take it back and engage with sometimes you have to hand bits and pieces over you have to go in for an operation there 's no point fighting the surgeon you've got to he 's going to do the surgery <laughs> you know, but what you can do is take responsibility for you know, for what you do prior to the operation, what you do post the operation. So you put yourself in the best state for the operation and you look after yourself in the best way after the operation so you work together with the surgeon to get the very best outcome. And that's what I would hope for, really, that people would think about some of the things that we've talked about. They they have that intention in their mind and they would, you know, look at, you know, their sleep patterns they would look at their exercise patterns they'd look at their thought patterns they'd look at how the how their um, eating And, you know, work on the 80-20 rule, as I call it, which is if you do the right things 80% of the time, you can afford to do naughty things for 20% of the time, <laughs> but not have it 20-80, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then supplements. I mean, I think at this time, one of the things most half, if you look at Patrick Holford's work, 50% of the population is zinc deficient. Um, so, you know, and we know the zinc is terrible the immune system so think about taking zinc actually I was I just need to say this I was so excited that, that the beginning of the lockdown in March 2020 you couldn't buy zinc to save your life in this country mm-hmm. yeah, and it was I' was difficult really to get. thrilled with that because it meant that people had got that message that zinc was useful and I'd yeah. like them to keep getting that message actually mm. so vitamin D vitamin C vitamin C is the most strong antiviral probably asian there is out there in fact so you know i was taking 10 grams of vitamin c throughout my covid illness uh and you know uh, and i do want to say that because i do also you know want to touch on that just briefly because if we do the right things when we've got covid um And we don't have to worry about long COVID. And I know that people have, you know, we haven't talked about long COVID, but we've kind of touched on the idea of living with illness. And I think we do need to be doing the right things so that when we are, when we do get an illness, a viral illness or whatever, that we do actually, that we, if we allow our body to heal properly, we don't have to worry so much about the consequences and then finally rest and I think rest is something that is not very uh, is something that in this society we don't honor enough actually rest we just don't honor it enough we don't have enough place for it
1: so true yeah it's so true
0: Sunday historically was the day of rest and it's not a day of rest anymore. No, it's it's, it's not. It mm. it really isn't. And-, and people
1: are working longer days, and any space they do have is filled with, as we talked about earlier, digital media. And and that's not a disengagement. That's still keeping the brain busy. Mm. <laughs> Plus, you've got blue light and all that other stuff that we could talk about. I think is an important message for that final one. Rest for our
2: listeners because we are entrepreneurs. We're go getters. We're we're. <laughs> where people aim to wake up at 5 a.m. and work all the way till 10. And and, and that's the kind of environment or that's the way to get ahead. So I mm. think it's an important message for our listeners where, you know,
1: rest is is that final fundamental step there. Can I just jump in with one question, actually, Wendy? And it's something that we talked about years and years ago when I used to run the health events. And it's kind of, I like it as a quick win, but I just wondered if you still have the same view on it. And that is something like Celtic sea salt sprinkled in water just in terms of just because i know fluid is a very big one isn't it hydration water mm. Could you, I, you? I mean, it's a little bit of a tangent but it's not because it kind of falls into what you've just talked about health you know vitamins and minerals can you just explain the benefit of that for anyone that wants a quick win from that side
0: you mean something like epsom
1: salts or well just just drinking what you know the mineralized water so oh, drinking the
0: mineralized water yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. so, so, so well, hydra- sea salt in
1: water yeah
0: so so hydration of the body is probably one of the most important things we do for ourselves um because we're constantly um you know losing uh, losing water and uh, the body is 80 percent water so we do need to keep that water content up and i think you know the body doesn't function well when it's not got the right mineral content um everyone's focused on vitamin d vitamin c but actually not having the right mineral content is actually more important so it so you know if you've got if you're able to drink and you're taking in your minerals as you're drinking Mm. then um you've kind of got a win-win situation
1: in terms of an example of how they might take that some people can take tablets etc one of the things that we do is sprinkle there's either the um himalayan sea salt but i remember conversations with you about celtic sea salt years ago and that's what we sort of switched to Mm. just a sprinkle of that into 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 water doesn't have to be hugely salty but that's a quite a quick win for people isn't it exactly
0: that's uh, that's what i meant when i said if you can put it in your water and then you're drinking that yeah exactly absolutely fantastic um, definitely uh, but it does have to be you know, we're not talking table salt here
1: <laughs> no, no, no 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 yeah actually that's a good point <laughs> Worth yes
0: are we do that does need to be pointed out we are talking about things like Himalayan salts or you know or yes Dead Sea salts or you know yeah one of those you know very mineral based where you're getting the full complement of minerals yeah
2: so, so Wendy this has been <laughs> fantastic, incredible, knowledgeable, and I I know the listeners will be excited to reach out to you. But before I get to that point, I just want to let listeners know Wendy has covered a lot of ground here today. In those sort of big questions we've asked, not only the philosophy, understanding what integrated health and medicine is, but this big overarching question, which is living with COVID, and then an even bigger overarching question, which is uh, how do we live with illness, whether it's short term, whether it's long term, and then fundamentally underlying all that is overcoming, dealing with, uh, blocking out any fear associated with illness and the current situation we're in, COVID. Within that, we've covered a lot of ground, and there's some fantastic actionables. The big key takeaways for quick reference, I will put in the show notes, as always, at cicardo.com. And I want to leave yourself, Wendy, with two questions. One is a practical one, and one is... Uh, a final message from yourself for, so firstly I'll ask this question then I'll follow up with the next one which is and I'll put this in the show notes as well where can people who are no doubt fascinated, fascinated by the work you're doing and want to learn more maybe want to connect with you learn from anything you have out there where can people find you where do you typically point people to
0: well probably my website which probably is overdue for a, a you know an upgrade but um, it is um the
2: health fantastic so i will put that in the show notes listeners health um what i also found about websites is those uh, sort of practitioners who their website is not up to date is there's a fascinating insight which is uh, they're the people most at work <laughs>
1: <laughs> because they've got no time. He knows this because he works in that field <laughs> I, 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 uh, because I, his background, of course, is yeah, so web web work with people and d- digital, design. digital all that kind of stuff. Which is so I, I always find that as that's an interesting insight. Huh? Fant-
2: you know, so don't for for listeners don't ever get turned off by a particular website. If anything, it should be an identify of how long somebody has been in a field <laughs> and expertise and actually the depth behind their work to the point where they don't need to update their website. What you know but we don't need a flashy front face because people know who Wendy is. You've got um, a book out Wendy as well.
0: I have actually that's Come interesting. On, it, it was a bestseller but no it's not available anymore and oh, really No it it got sold out and uh you know It was a bestseller. It was a Sunday Times bestseller. We need to sort that out, don't we? Yeah, and that's probably on the to-do list is to redo
1: that book. Do that before the website.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay. (laughs) Um,
1: Before before you ask the question, I just want to say uh, thank you so much for coming on and giving up the time because I know how many people take up your time. So to get you on today, being a full-time mom and everything else you do, it's been amazing. And I would love us to get you back on again at some point in the future if you're up for it. But just a personal thank you from me to you uh, as Harms steps in here.
2: Amazing. So Wendy, over to you with a final message. Uh, You know, there's a lot of wisdom, there's knowledge, there's experience, uh, whether it's personal life and in the profession that you're in, the expertise that you have. Is there a final message you want to leave listeners with outside of all of the the nuggets that you've dropped today over to you to leave a final message with listeners and then I'll sign us off
0: I think probably my final message is have faith that we will you know come through to the other side of this and we will learn as a society the lessons that we needed to learn as a result of this illness and on a personal level that there will have be been growth as a result of this but mainly it's have faith and uh, that we will come to the other side of this
2: wonderful have faith so that's the final message for listeners thank you for myself Wendy that's myself and Roe signing out we shall see you on the next episode
1: hello it's Dr Roe here Harms and I would like to both personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Cicado show and if you've gained just one insight something positive that you're able to use on a personal on a professional level to help your life and maybe other people's lives then please complete an important action for us which takes less than just two minutes. Please become a supporter of the podcast by going to cicado.com. And as a thank you, you'll get access to exclusive supporter perks. And don't forget to simply subscribe to the show, share this product with loved ones. And we would love if you would take a moment to give us a review and let us know just how amazing this episode was. Thanks again for listening. This is Dr. Owen Harms signing out.